Welcome to Business Reporters Future of Payment series with Instant. I'm Georgie Frost and throughout this series we've been looking at how digital transformation is changing the payment industry, the onboarding experience of customers and the role that AI can play in keeping ahead of the fraudsters. With me on this journey throughout has been Sunil Madhu, founder and CEO at Instant. Sunil, welcome back. Would you consider Thanks, yourself a business expert or a technology expert? Let's go there first, shall we? Well, I'm Browns. I've got to be a technology expert, you know, with the stereotype. But uh, I've run several companies. Uh, this is my sixth startup, and I've uh, learned along the way. So I'd like to consider myself a business expert as well. Um, although I do say that with every new startup, I make new mistakes. But I do learn from the things that have worked before that I can apply again into future enterprises. That's such an unfair question, isn't it? What would your friends consider you? A business expert in technology? I guess you're... you're- <laughs> Both. A bit uh, of both, yeah. A bit of both. All right, then. Whenever we talk about fresh fintech solutions, it implies that the traditional industry players perhaps need to learn from these tech mavericks, the new tricks and opportunities. Is that fair? Um, I don't necessarily agree with that, but I, I'd say, you know, incumbent businesses have learned a lot in order to, to be around for 100 years. Uh, Wells Fargo, for example, has been, and you know, the, the founders founded American Express. I'm sure they've survived all this time because they've learned things that the younger disruptive fintechs have not yet. But I would say that there's a constant evolution of this notion of unbundling and rebundling of services in the industry. So a bank is essentially a, a bundled group grouping of a variety of services, such as account opening for checking and savings, lending, payments, credit cards, um, other types of services that, that are offered. So fintechs are great at taking these large behemoth Lego blocks and then rebuilding them in smaller bite-sized portions. And uh, eventually, as they proliferate, you'll end up seeing a rebundling of those services mm-hmm. with newer technology and newer efficiencies for scale. That I've seen you know, for decades, so I, I don't think that's going to stop anytime soon. Are we comparing apples with apples or apples with pears here? Actually, the fresh fintech companies, the new ones, have a very different beast doing different things. Oh, sometimes, I mean, we all operate in the same industries. And you talk about uh, fintech specifically. The thing about fintechs is it's not just a vertical. Uh, Fintechs are, um, fintech is a horizontal, meaning the technology, the financial service technology applies to different industries. Uh, a, a simple example is payments. You know, payments apply in healthcare, education, utilities, just as it does in financial services. So fintech has that advantage that it can disrupt multiple industries. The uh, other aspect is that technology is constantly evolving. Fintechs are constantly trying to disrupt. Uh, they have the potential to disrupt, I should say, different industries, just given the rapid pace of change of technology. But they also have you know, they don't have the old legacy systems. That's correct. But then to flip that on their head, of course, newcomers can learn from the from the old heads, the established ones. You know, what, what have you learned? I've learned that depending on who you sell to, the change can happen quickly or rather slowly. Uh, the way technology is adopted varies from one company to the other, depending on the size of the company. So if you're dealing with a very large enterprise that's dealing with billions of dollars in assets under management, um, they're much slower to change, not because they don't have the ability 
to adopt new technology. Those companies typically do not want to be on the bleeding edge or cutting edge of anything because they're more risk averse, primarily because of the fact that they've got a burden of the impact of a small technological change in a larger ecosystem of hybrid technology that have pieced together over decades. The other part, obviously, is the process and the people. So you can switch the technology, but you can't change the processes and retrain the people as fast. So large enterprises typically don't really like the notion of disruption so much. They like to see incremental changes, you know, small, small changes that they can rapidly adopt over time and, and thus disrupt the, their, their environment. Um, they do not have the luxury of simply dropping what they uh, used from a legacy perspective to adopt the latest and greatest bleeding edge technology versus a small business that's trying to get uh, ahead in the market. Uh, well, they, they have nothing stopping them. They can literally dump what they're using today and adopt something tomorrow, plug something new in tomorrow. Mm. They don't have the burden uh, of changes of processes and people that the large enterprises do. So um, I've learned how to um, sell uh, technological change and design uh, products to fit in these different types of companies differently. Mm. It seems from a consumer perspective looking at this that we're told that these new innovators, these companies come along and they can smash the big brands and it's better for competition, it's better for the consumers. And then all of a sudden they'll be taken over and it looks as though they've almost built their company just to be integrated by a bigger bank, for example. Is that fair? Is that what the majority of perhaps these new fintech companies are hoping that they're doing one sort of niche practice, they do it well, and then they get taken over by a big financial institution? Well, there's a rule about market monopolization that I've learned from reading books like The Lean Startup. You know, you can come up with the idea that you're going to go disrupt the market. I'm going to you know, destroy Microsoft and Excel has been words out of the mouths of lots of entrepreneurs of the years. And yet I'm still using Excel. You know, there is this notion of market monopolization, which people smarter than I who've studied the market have, have said that there's a threshold. So if you're entering a market that is monopolized, meaning that there's one or two, uh, there are one or two players in the market that, uh, that combined own about 75% of market share, it's very difficult to disrupt that market. Not, not because your technology is worse or anything like that. It's simply because those other companies can simply squash your disruptive technology or company with marketing dollars that you don't have to spend. So I, I think uh, things like market timing, the nature of the market itself, how fast it's changing, the use cases, a lot of factors come into play uh, that determine whether uh, someone can actually truly disrupt the market. Uh, consumer uh, focused markets are more prone to disruption because consumers are very fickle. They can like one thing one day and another um, another day. And so viral growth and adoption of something is a phenomenon we see in the consumer market all the time. And so that market can be disrupted. Uh, enterprise markets are very rarely disrupted, although it does happen uh, time to time. I want to ask you about the development of new technologies. It used to include a long, rather torturous procurement process. Has that, with the rise of managed services, changed? I'd like to think so, but I know having sold to some of the usual suspects over the years, uh, that is just as painful. Part of the problem is that I think large enterprises don't know how to buy from startups. 
large businesses know how to do business with other large businesses that have the same regulatory and compliance burdens as they do. Um, they don't know how to deal with a tiny little startup that can't buy enough insurance to fit their uh, minimum insurance thresholds, right? So that remains a challenge. Obviously, uh, bundling the solution in a particular way that makes it easier to get adopted and easier to uh, train people on and easier to adapt to the, the processes in the, in the business all help in, in, in the procurement process. It doesn't necessarily shorten the process, though. Mm. Sounds extraordinary. You're a big company. You can surely talk to anyone, no? That should be the case, but big companies tend to um, want to buy from mature companies where they're not exposed to the risk of the smaller entity disappearing tomorrow after they've sunk uh, a lot of dollars. So a lot of large enterprises, when they end up buying from small institutions um, and they end up liking the technology, tend to invest in those institutions from a strategic perspective, just so they know that that company is not going to go under. But you know, if you're managing billions of dollars uh, of uh, assets, you do not want to suddenly introduce risks that you cannot manage by virtue of dealing with businesses that are mature enough to manage those risks. Hmm. Now, integration is always difficult. Uh, tell us about the disruptions that may come with choosing a new managed service. So, one of the nice things about managed services is that they have the potential uh, to offer value on multiple levels. For most customers, uh, improvement in cost, you know, reduction in cost and the bottom line impact of uh, CapEx and OpEx expenditure um, is attractive. But what's more attractive is faster growth on the top line where they can sign up more customers, they can generate more lifetime value, they can generate more revenue. Um, a managed service has a potential to give you value on both the top line and the bottom line. The operating cost uh, for the managed service, since it's a shared service um, across multiple customers, is much lower than the sunk cost and the operating cost for someone doing that on their own. So you have bottom line benefits uh, generally. Can you break that down, the cost? Um, sure. A medium-sized enterprise might be spending, let's say, half a million dollars on technology uh, associated to onboarding customers and opening up new accounts. Um, whereas solutions that are managed might be 30%, 40% cheaper than the in-house cost of doing this, the equivalent thing. The other is there's typically a trade-off in companies um, around fraud, as it turns out. So for example, a company may want to keep their fraud rate below 1%. Typically, most businesses try to get it down to you know 50 basis points or less. Um, and in order to get your fraud losses to that level below 1%, you're going to end up using a bunch of technology and possibly a human workforce um, to be able to vet people you're signing, signing up um, as good or bad and to accept them. But the trade-off happens that when you uh, try to keep more bad people out, at the same time, you're going to end up rejecting more good people for the wrong reasons that get caught up in that, in that net. And um, so what traditionally happens is a business may, may focus on preventing the fraud loss, which is a tangible loss to the business and can destroy the business if it's not controlled, but they sacrifice the rate at which they can grow the top line uh, and sign up more good customers. This type of trade-off happens in most companies doing, um, uh, you know, the technology and the, the, 
the building themselves. When you use a managed service, because the people are creating that technology in a proprietary way and are often experts um, for that particular type of technology, are able to uh, reduce false positives much better and improve accuracies of those technology stacks much better and give better economics in terms of value by helping businesses grow the top line uh, quickly without the bottom line costs and the exposure uh, to fraud, for example. What about um, a company that says, look, we, we know our customers, we know our customers' behavior, it's, it's unique to our business. How could you possibly, as a, a managed service external to this company, truly understand? Well, just because you're using a managed service doesn't mean that you're giving control um, of the customer user experience away. Um, our technology at Instant, for example, does not require businesses to change the way they design their customer journey uh, or their sign-up journey. That's entirely within the control of the business. But the technology is light enough. Um, it's a code-free, code low-code technology. It's light enough that someone can copy and paste a line of code on whatever look and feel of websites and whatever user journey they've created for their customer signing up and yet reap the benefits of, of this uh, technology. That line of code sits there in the background, does a variety of types of tests on the consumer that's going through the sign-up flow uh, designed by the business. And then it makes a decision at the end of it in terms of the risk that particular customer signing up uh, exposes that business to. So I don't think it's necessarily uh, a trade-off that you have to make uh, that you have to relinquish control of the user experience in order to use the managed service. Okay, a company may already have a sign-up form. I mean, if you put your engine under the hood, do they, do they have to change all that? Do they have to change that form? Um, no, uh, we do not host or control the sign-up look and feel and the steps involved in the user journey. That's entirely up to each business um, to differentiate for themselves. Our technology is very passive. It's essentially a line of code that sits on the various different signup pages that the business uh, exposes for the various products and services they sell. And the line of code passively sits behind the scenes and does its job running a variety of silent tests that help the system evaluate the risk that particular customer signup uh, exposes the business to. Um, so it's, it's relatively painless to deploy. It's good to hear. Um, what are the elements of a strong authentication? There isn't a common definition for it. Strong authentication can vary depending on the uh, nature of the risk. So if it's a high risk transaction and the transaction has a higher loss liability probability associated to it, then the types of authentication required to interact with that system and the data associated to that, that system might be at a much higher bar than a system that does not have the same type of risk exposure. So in some cases, you know, you, it might be when you're signing up um, in order to authenticate who, that you are who you say you are, you may just need to provide a name and an email address. Uh, most e-commerce websites require something as little as that. Other institutions like financial institutions like banks, which have stringent anti-money laundering requirements, um, compliance requirements, will ask you for you know, uh, your date of birth and your social security number and uh, your firstborn child, well, you know. So the bar is much higher for the bank because it's under much more stringent uh, compliance regulatory requirements than 
uh, merchant is, for example. So the authentication requirements will vary. You've spoken quite a lot about the independence that a that a company has. Your code just sits there quietly, you know, no bother. It sounds like, and you you do offer a customized solution, don't you? We try to cater for the majority of the market that drives our revenue. There are two different classes of types of businesses that we can serve. The businesses that um, want to host their own sign-up pages and their own uh, user experience, which is the, the majority, I would say, of the market. And then there are uh, businesses like credit unions and so on that are technologically uh, less sophisticated. And they're typically you know, brick-and-mortar companies that are rushing to the digital age. Um, and those guys don't have the, the technological know-how or the resources in-house uh, to be able to host their own um, sign-up pages, etc. So that subsection of the market may actually prefer hosted solutions. Just like the incumbents in the market, we operate in pretty much the same way. We offer the ability for a customer to host their own or to use a hosted version simply by flicking a switch in, in our product. I guess it depends on, like you said, the requirements of that company. That's correct. You know, we don't we don't try to force our customers to do anything that they don't that the business you know doesn't want them to do. Where next, for instant? Where next? Global domination, um, <laughs> but with baby steps. So uh, we are trying to change an industry that is slow to change and where everybody's used to the paradigm of having to choose between getting punched in the face punched in the gut um, in order to manage fraud themselves and be compliant. We are the first company in the market uh, to tell customers they don't need to get punched at all. Uh, in fact, they can outsource the entire fraud problem to us and we'll even take over their loss liability to the tune of up to $100 million annually. There's no one in the market doing that. We want to scale our business and we want to sign up more, more customers. That's, that's really the, our, our focus. Where do you see the biggest challenges? There's always challenges uh, trying to change the market, trying to bring something new to the market and educating the market about the benefits. Um, those progressively get easier in my experience as there's more proof points uh, from actual customer experience that can be shared in the market to help change uh, other customers' minds. Um, the other is that you know, technology is constantly evolving, regulations are evolving, um, so being in lockstep with that and where the market is, is tending um, is important. There are, there are macro changes in the market. We're, we are in kind of a type of pseudo depression. You might not know it looking at the stock market, but I do not believe the stock market reflects what's actually happening in the uh, economy for the average human being. So, um, you know, the availability of capital, cost of capital, et cetera, will change over time. And uh, hiring people. Uh, hiring the resources required to scale the business. Uh, that's also going to be a challenge in today's market, primarily because uh, people can work from home and uh, people can therefore be as lazy or proactive as they want to be. And they're less likely to move their jobs and they're going to be more picky when they, when they move. Um, so these are some of the challenges I see as we look to scale our business. So Nomad, who founder and CEO at Instant, thank you so much. It's been a pleasure. Thank you.